Well, glad you're here. Um, my name is Troy Nicholson. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven, and, and we're going through the book of Colossians. And it has been quite a journey. It's been an awesome book. I hope you guys have enjoyed the book of Colossians so far. It's been so good to us. Um, we're in Colossians chapter 2. But before we go, just a little bit about me. In general, um, if you give me a sign, plant it in my yard, and tell me something not to do, it's like a steroid shot making me want to do that thing. Just it is what it is. I, it's signs that say don't. It's like an alarm bell in my soul that says, Troy, you should. <laughs> it's just the way it is. Uh, anybody else like that? Okay. Um, it, <clears throat> well, there was one sign a couple of years ago that was a little bit different. It, it did stop me dead in my tracks. It might be the first and only sign that's ever done that. I was playing golf. I believe it was Lost Key Golf Course in, in Pensacola. And I, I hit the ball into a patch of trees, which is generally where I play golf from. And as I'm driving up to go, go track down the ball, I, I ran across a sign. And the sign said this, um, venomous snakes may be present in the area. As a matter of fact, I think on that course it says rattlesnake habitat. <laughs> and that sign um, is probably, I would say, the most obeyed sign in America. Nobody goes near that sign. I wasn't going anywhere near it. Um, and, and so we came upon it. And here's the deal with that sign. I could have either embraced the real danger that the sign had for me and therefore experienced real joy, or I could have ignored the danger and then there would have been a good chance that my buddy would have been sucking blood out of my leg from where the snake bit me. Uh, so here's the deal with, with these signs. Paul is going to do kind of the exact same thing today. He's going to throw up this real big danger sign. And we have one of two options. We can listen to the danger warning and embrace it. And in embracing it, find real joy and enjoy the golf proverbial golf course, if you will, or we can ignore the danger altogether and it doesn't just result in a snake bite. By the way, if we ever play golf and you get bit by a snake, I'm not sucking the blood out of your leg. That's just a side note. Um, or we can ignore it. And if we ignore the sign that Paul gives, it really does have these eternal consequences. And, and so maybe that kind of gives you a heads up to where Paul's heading today. It's this big sign. He's going to jam it right in the, the pulpit, if you will, and he's going to blare it before us. We listen to it, joy. If we ignore it, eternal consequences and dangers. And that's where the text is going to take us. He's going to say, beware of a couple of things. Again, if you are visiting with us, we go straight through books of the Bible. That's all we do. Verse by verse, straight through books of the Bible. So we're picking up today where we left off last week. And the week before, we left off before it. And so we're in Colossians 2, chapter, 16, uh, chapter 2, verse 16. First of all, Paul says this, beware. Beware of, sign number one, legalistic rules. Beware of legalistic rules because they are seductively damning. We'll look at those two things together. He says this, verse 16, Therefore, and as the old saying goes, anytime you run across a therefore in Scripture, you should ask, what? What is it? Therefore, right? All right, so therefore. Therefore... Because of last week, because of what Christ has done through the death and the burial and the resurrection, because of everything He's accomplished for us. And if you haven't, if you weren't here last week, please go watch 
the sermon, not because I'm speaking it, that's the bad part, but the text was so good thinking about what Christ has accomplished in the death, burial, and resurrection. As a matter of fact, I had somebody come up to me afterwards and say that I lost my Baptist card, which I didn't know I had one, Um, but it was just an awesome passage of Scripture. Because of what Christ has done in the death, burial, and resurrection, uh, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink. Let no one question you about daily sustenance. We'll go with that word right now. Or with regard to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths. So what we're going to use, we'll use daily sustenance and now daily schedule. Let no one judge you based on sustenance or calendrical schedules, if you will. And he says, verse 17, these are just a shadow. They're just a shadow of things to come, but the substance or substance belongs to Christ. Now let's look at those two things. What's going on here? Let no one judge you. Beware. Beware of legalistic rules. Let no one judge you based on daily sustenance. What's he getting at there? Well, in the Old Testament, there were indeed a ton of dietary laws. As a matter of fact, I, I looked at our pulpit Bible just a minute ago. Uh, Kathy Duncan, Miss Kathy's here. Um, you read through this uh, as we read through this Bible in Leviticus chapter 11. So when you were reading about the cow chewing the cud and all that kind of stuff, uh, that's where we're at today. So in the Old Testament, there were tons of food laws, sustenance laws. And so they're all found a lot of them are in Leviticus chapter 11. And it says this, if you're going to be religious, don't eat camel. To which everyone goes, no problem, got that one. Don't eat a rock badger. To which everybody in here goes, I don't even know what a rock badger is. So I'm good on that one. Don't eat a rabbit. Now, some of y'all rednecks up in here are just, you're out. You're gone. You had it for breakfast with your biscuit and gravy. And then it says, don't touch a dead carcass. All right, all y'all deer slayers up in this mug. All right. Okay, so then it gets a little more... So maybe there's a lot of us at this point who goes, Hey, I'm good with those. I hadn't ate a camel, I hadn't ate a rock badger, I hadn't ate a rabbit. We're all good until he says, Don't eat bacon. All of us are out. Everybody's out. And doubly so if you've ever eaten bacon-wrapped shrimp. Right? You can't even go to the Gulf anymore. Right? So these are the the things. And so he says, Listen... Don't let anybody judge you based on these foods. The law was for something, but it was pointing to something. Daily schedule. What's he talking about in that? All right. So in the schedule, in the Old Testament, there were indeed a lot of required celebrations. You had to go to a lot of different things. There was festivals. Festivals like the Feast of Trumpets and festivals like Passover and festivals like um, uh, the, the Feast of Booths and all these things. There were new moon celebrations. Uh, the first of every month, the new moon came around. And so they went to celebrate this. It was a reminder that God's constantly renewing things. And so that was a thing they had to go to. And then Paul says something very interesting. Don't let somebody judge you based on the Sabbath. Right? Right? So Sabbaths were at least two different ways for them. Number one, there was the literal Sabbath every single Saturday, a 24-hour period that they carved out. And and so it was set aside. They couldn't do work. But there was also a seven-year Sabbath. And in the seventh year, it was the year of Jubilee. And so they would set aside all the land and they would restore any debts and, and they would, everybody would relax and rest. And so there was all of these things. And, and so they had to do these things so that God would smile at them. And Paul says, 
in Christ, don't let anybody judge you by these legalistic rules anymore. Right? So why? Why do these things exist? I'm just going to take a shot at it. I think three reasons these rules existed. Number one, there was physical reasons. Physically, with food, uh, whether or not an animal had a natural filtration system seems to be the reason they could eat certain things and not certain things. The fish, if it had fins and scales, they could eat it. If it didn't, they couldn't eat it. If an animal had a a hoof, um, something that separated it from the ground, it was clean. If it didn't, it was unclean. So that seemed to be a thing. And then also physically, celebrations... And, and scheduling and all these things, physically they had to do things to serve the Lord. They served one another. They fixed food. They worshiped together. So physically it, it reminded them of something. And there was a spiritual reason. Spiritually, sustenance and schedule laws set them apart, I would argue, in both choice and conscience. We'll do this because God says do it, and we'll not do this because... God says, don't do it. In other words, they were doing things and not doing things that nobody else around them were doing. They were truly set apart by these things. And then number three, and most importantly, I think there was a messianic reason. All of the food laws and all of the scheduling was to show that you could never do enough to earn God's smile. But instead, what they did is, well, I'll just keep trying to do it more. And then they would miss a Passover and go, ah, I missed the Passover. What am I going to do? And in missing the Passover, it was to show them you need somebody that can accomplish all these things. They're eating something and all of a sudden somebody slips a little uh, bacon inside the pork and beans. Now, I don't know if they had pork and beans in Israel. Well, maybe they slipped bacon inside the hummus because bacon makes everything better. They taste it and now all of a sudden they're unclean. And so they go, ah, I'm unclean, what do I do? And now I've got to go to another festival and give more money and do this thing. And it's supposed to point them to the fact that they need something that's a substitute that will cover the fact that they can't do everything. That's what these are for. It points to something. There's someone needed to restore food to a perfect Adamic state where all things were good. They need somebody to restore the relationship with God that's right. In a perfect relationship where God walks with them in the garden in the cool of the day, they needed somebody to do that. It was symbolic. Side note, rules are super, super seductive when it comes to religion. Some of you in this room were brought up based on religious fundamentalistic, legalistic works that pointed to you and not Christ, and you don't even realize it because you were seduced by them. If I do this, then God will be happy. And if you do that, because that's how it always goes, right? I'm doing the good thing and you just stink, right? I'll do this, then God will be happy. And if you'll stop doing that, then God will be happy with you. Right, And so Paul is addressing this, and, and we love rules, and especially when it comes to religion. Why? We love it because we can check the box on rules, can't we? We can walk around going, you know what? To earn God's smile, I don't eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. I'm in. I'll never eat another bacon-wrapped shrimp. You can check the box. Or this, if I attend the kids' celebration at Christmas, I mean, who doesn't like to see a kid dressed up like a sheep anyway? If I go to that, God will be happy with me. Check the box. I'll go. Or 
if I don't cuss as much, or if I stop listening to Tupac, that's for all of y'all and not me, or if I show up at SHC once a month, and somebody in here just said, who is Tupac, right? And Elvis, if I stop listening to so much Elvis shaking those seductive hips, if, <laughs> where are we going? If I just do this, if I, if I, if I, if I, then I'll earn God's smile. And Paul says, be careful. Be careful. You'll slip into the cracks. It'll seduce you. And so Paul brings up the big stick to the plate. And he backs up the bus and he says, none of those things will save you. None of it. And in the New Testament, we find Jesus addressing the sustenant laws. And he points to the heart. It'll be on the screen above. He says this, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. From within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within the heart and they defile a person. And so not only Paul, lest you mad at Paul already. Paul, how dare you put up that sign? I like my rules. Jesus said the same thing. He said, I saw the heart. What's your heart like? doesn't matter how many times you showed up at Safe Haven or how many times you went on the mission trip or how many times you whatever. What is your heart like in terms of your relationship with the Lord? In other words, Jesus says, I'm here to set you free and I'm here to show you even a bigger need that you have other than just obeying my cafeteria plan. In other words, you can check the box on what you eat and don't eat and look really religious and your heart still be super far from the Christ who came to save. And in the New Testament, he addresses also schedules, and he pointed to the heart. You'll remember this in Matthew 12, when Jesus plucked the grain on the Sabbath. You guys remember that? He's what? It's Sabbath day, and the disciples are hungry, and Jesus goes, oh, we're about to really tick some people off. Rip! Eat this food. And they became furious. You remember Jesus on this same day healed the man with a withered hand. Pharisees are looking and going, is he going to heal that guy or not? I mean, they're mad at him for healing a guy. He walks up, he heals the man, and they lose their ever-loving mind. Why? Because the rule said, don't do this on the Sabbath. That was the rule. Jesus asked them in that moment, Who of y'all, if one of your sheep fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't go save it? To which they all just kind of backed up. And in that moment, Jesus threw a right uppercut. I guess that was a jab. Maybe I should have done that. And he said, listen, don't you remember Hosea 6? God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And then he said this, and he spoke the bombshell. And he said, let alone that, you think you're obeying the Sabbath and doing really good? I am the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, everything you're trying to do in accomplishing, setting aside rest, I'm the fulfillment of all of that rest. Why won't you come to me? And he elevated him and lowered them just like he still does today. And they got the point. Jesus slapped the sign on the ground and said, Beware of legalism! Beware! And they got it. 
When Jesus said, it's not about the rules. Why? Because after he heals the man, after he gets the grain, after he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, they walked away and the verse says, right past that says, they plotted how to what? Kill him. Kill him. How dare you take away our rules? We love our rules. We're really good at our rules. How dare you take those away? And Paul says, beware. We'll get sucked into it just as quick if we're not careful. So to tie it all together, how do we know that he truly crushed all the requirements of the law? Well, it wasn't by his death. A lot of people died. It wasn't by his burial. A lot of people are buried. But last week taught us this. We know that he crushed it and accomplished it because of what? The what? The resurrection. The resurrection is the seal. And in that moment, that's where everything changed. Which is why we now don't worship on Saturday, but worship on Sunday, the first day of the week. If you ever wondered, why don't we do that? Well, that's why. Because it points to Christ. He fulfilled all of it. All of the Sabbath. All of the festivals. All of the laws. All of everything. He did it. And if you trust in Him, we worship on the Lord's Day. Which is where we come to. So, I'm going to be careful. And I'll wrap it up. Almost. Be careful of what Paul did not say. Because we are, Safe Haven Church is grace junkies. Absolute junkies. Sometimes to a fault. All right? Me and I, I got Tyler LaFoy is our lead grace junkie up in this joint right here. And, and, and we got a, we got a tug of war a lot of times in, in staff. Like, hey, where? Okay. We're grace junkies. What Paul did not say. What Paul did not say is that pursuing these things are evil or wrong. He didn't say pursuing the Lord through rest and pursuing the Lord through remembrance. and pursue. He didn't say those are evil and wrong. But what he did say is this. That believing that elements of workship, which we call worship, if I do these certain things and work this certain way, believing those things will save you is to belittle the work of Christ and what He's done. It's to say, I can accomplish something that Christ has not and did not accomplish. And number two... That us passing judgment on fellow believers based on whether they do this or don't do this or this or whatever is also belittling the work of Christ. Christ alone stands righteous and Christ alone grants His righteousness to those who call on His name for salvation. We ain't got Greek jack to do with it. Is what he's getting at. And so in this moment he plants this signs. And the work of sustenance and schedule, they were, they were valuable. But as Paul said, they're shadows. They're pointing to Jesus, just like a shadow points to something else. This will be on the screen, four takeaways. When we focus on what the flesh can do, our hearts will actually begin to shrink. Our hands will get stronger. Our resume will grow. But our hearts will actually shrink. But when we focus on what Christ has done, the affections of our hearts are enlarged. We'll look at Christ and go, whoa, whoa, you are way greater than I ever dreamt or imagined. We will decrease and He will increase. Number two, when we focus on what the flesh can do, our lives actually become joylessly fearful. When it's all about works, then we become fearful of, okay, 
I didn't eat the bacon, but I did have the grease. And it becomes this constant battle of, did I do enough for the Lord? Did I not do enough for the Lord? And so we lose all joy and we become fearful when we focus on what the flesh can do. But when we focus on what Christ has done, we become joyfully grace-filled. We walk in freedom going, thank you Christ for accomplishing that which I could not accomplish. And not only could not, but would not. When we focus on what the flesh can do, we begin to demand gross uniformity. When, when, we, when we focus on what we do, that's when we start saying, okay, now I'm doing this, you need to do this. Everybody put on khakis and a collared blue shirt and wear these pants and show up. And by gosh, don't you dare walk from the gym to your car in shorts like a college that I went to. It only lasted for about a semester before they kicked me out. But don't you dare do this. You look like this. You look like this. And we will all look like this together. When we focus on the flesh, that's the natural byproduct. But watch this. When we focus on what Christ has done, we discover gracious freedom. That you're gifted in a way that you're not gifted, and you're gifted in a way that you're not gifted. And it's this beautiful rainbow of colors, and we all get to flex our gifts and fly for the glory of Christ. Whether you got a gigantic beard like old Nick over here looking like Santa Claus and a bald head, I love bald heads, you know, or whether you've got a gigantic hair like Cole Beckett Nicholson, you know, it doesn't matter. We, we all, we can look different and that's okay because what Christ has done is freed us in grace to be us and to worship him as he crafted us to be. So you can be an architect for the glory of the Lord. You can be a, a, a rock badger hunter for the glory of the Lord. You can be a baseball player for the glory of You can do whatever. It's just beautiful when we walk in what the Spirit has done through Christ. And then when we focus on what the flesh can do, faith is always going to be surface level. When we focus on what the flesh can do, faith will always be surface level. Well, I did this, I honored that, and we will never get to what? The heart. We'll never get to the fact that Christ not only died for what we couldn't do physically, but every gross, nasty thought that stems from the heart. And that's when it gets really rich and good. That not only did Christ cover the fact that you can't keep the festival, but He also covered the fact that you get mad at your spouse. Not only did he cover the fact that there's all kind of foods that pointing us to Christ and whatever, but he also covers the fact that you gossip or bitter or envious or jealous or whatever. He covers all of it. And that makes Christ great and us small and the cross just radiates. What a good sign that Paul put out before us. Beware. Beware of legalistic rules that point to you and not the freedom found in Christ. Number one. A life enamored with Christ will go far beyond obeying the commands of Christ, but it'll dive into the deep needs of the heart and see Him for as glorious as He really is. We gather at Safe Haven Church not to walk out and try to be better people. We walk in as gross people and walk out as gross people. 
being enamored with how awesome Jesus is. That's our goal. That's our goal. And that's how we judge success on a Sunday. So don't love or don't let people who love the comfort of rules judge you based off of rules and remember the work of Christ. So he plants that sign. Beware of legalistic rules. They are damning. Did that make sense, church? Because I'm going to be dead honest with you. I have been as nervous as a feral cat behind Winn-Dixie <laughs> all week long. And some of y'all laugh because y'all seen them nasty cats back there. They're everywhere. And if one of y'all in here are the one that keeps feeding them nasty jokers... Right, God loves the animals too. But they got broken tails and like... (laughs) But I've been nervous all week long because I'm like, that is a a lot to wrap our brains around. I hope, hope, by God's grace, some of it made sense. Um, If you get that point, the rest of the text, super simple, super easy. Let's blow through it. Not only beware of legalism, but beware of hyper-spiritualism. It's just as sensually damning. Number uh, verse 18, let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism, think a monk, okay? And worship of angels. They had this idea that if they they weren't good enough to go to God, so they could talk to an angel and maybe the angel would carry it up, okay? Um, Or going on in detail about visions. They had this notion of God would give them a vision and then they could walk around and become your authority. I have a vision for you, which again, I will always say. If somebody walks up and says, i got a vision for you, back away and say, thanks, but no thanks. So this thing, puffed up, they're sensual minds, they're acting humble, but they're really super proud. And, And all of these things are in error, verse 19, because they do not hold fast to the head. They don't point to Christ. They point to what man can do. They're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through all its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. So self-imposed denial by a group is exciting and it, it screams obedience, but it's godless, it's Christless. Tarot cards and Ouija boards, they're exciting when other people are around, but they scream mystery to us and they point us away from Christ. Spiritual gatherings, church gatherings where everybody's crying and shouting and everybody's having holy hallelujahs and all this kind of stuff. It screams worship to us, but if we're not careful, it can be uber Christless. I don't know if we use the word uber anymore. C.S. Lewis said it this way, The desire to be in the big inner circle is skillful in making a man not yet bad do very bad things. That's what Paul's getting at. The desire to be because the crowd is doing this and because the crowd says that this is good, I want to be a part of the crowd. It'll lead us away from Christ if we're not careful. I stole this completely off the internet. have no idea who this guy is, but dadgum if I don't love this. Chris Burns love, whoever that cat is. How was worship? Must be removed from our Christian vernacular. I love it. Love it. How's worship is a question only the object of our worship can answer. Our answer then to this question is revealing of what was really worshipped. Our experience has become the gauge, thus revealing the fact that we in fact don't worship God, we worship our experience of worship. This is the door, shut it. 
Wow. How was worship? Oh, it was awesome. There were so many people crying. People were all over the floor. Blah, blah, blah. It was, it was awesome. And what we've just said is that we enjoy the emotion, not the Christ of the moment. This is so rich. And he follows it up by saying in this, in essence, we worship ourselves. Idolatry is a sneaky thing. That's exactly what Paul's saying right here. You want to know the answer to the question, how was worship? You know, you know the right answer to that? You, you know when the answer to that is, that was a great worship service. Here's when that is the answer. When Christ was proclaimed over and over and over and over, that was an awesome worship service. That's it! Nobody cried, though. Nobody started shouting, though. Nobody got all excited and started running around the... No, none of that happened. Did Christ, was He proclaimed crucified, risen, rose again for the sins of mankind? Is that what happened? Yes. Then it was an awesome worship service. That's the object of our worship. Now do you see how this is seductively slipping into churches all across America? It's got to look like a dadgum U2 rock concert. Here we go with another name. Give me somebody else. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. I don't know. The Beatles, whatever. It's got to look like that to be an awesome worship service. And Paul says, be careful of rules and be careful of hyper-spiritualization. Christ is the head. Did you focus on Christ? And then finally, Paul says, Be enamored with the person and work of Jesus Christ. He alone sets you free. Verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle referring to the things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Our time is up. When we are chasing Jesus in His Word, we won't fall into legalism. When we're chasing Jesus in prayer, we won't fall back into self-righteousness. When we're chasing Jesus in our conversations, we won't fall into judgmentalism. When we're chasing Jesus in leveraging everyday moments of our life, we won't fall back into the desires of the flesh. The answer to all of these slippery pitfalls is just simply to live at the rock-solid footing of the cross. It's pretty simple, isn't it? And it's pretty awesome. Ben, come on back up. Because if you don't, I will keep going. Parting shots, they're not on the screen. So as for sustenance, foods, diets, all these kind of things, man, communion's awesome. Communion is awesome. And McDonald's will kill you. It will. I had it this morning. Double cheese. On my sausage biscuit. But food is not salvation. Salvation is surrendering your life to Christ because of His death, burial, and resurrection.
What about schedules? Christmas is awesome. They're actually putting together a Christmas program already. Maybe I shouldn't have thrown that out there. Smooth that over with your wife. (laughs) Um, Christmas is awesome. Easter, it's even better. It's even better. But salvation is found in surrendering your life to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As for emotionalism, fasting is wonderful. Christian music is awesome. All these things are wonderful. But salvation is found in surrendering your life to the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. As for chasing holiness, yes, that is our joy. That's our privilege. It's why we gather together. We champion that. But salvation is found in surrendering to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Maybe I can just go just one more. Just one more. I promise. Following through in baptism, honoring God in biblical tithing, serving the body by teaching our kids, hosting a community group in your home, going on a mission trip to a foreign nation around the corner or into Coker or to Turkey, Singing and leading in harmony and melody to raise our voices to the Lord in song. Welcoming people in your home to talk about things of the Lord. Chaperoning an overnight youth trip to the building that has the jumpy things in it. Uh, Dressing up as something different than you wear just to the ballpark. Reading through the Bible every year. Counseling somebody who's hurting. Celebrating with someone who's just had something fantastic happen. And on and on and on can be wonderfully fantastic. But none of them save you. Salvation is found in surrendering your life to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He alone is our chief goal, our chief aim, and our chief joy. Beware of legalistic rules. Beware of hypersensuality. And be enamored by what Christ has done through His substitutionary work for sinners just like you and just like this dude. Let's pray. Well, Lord, what a great text again. Two chapters. It's been so good for me in my heart. God, I'm the first one prone to find my hope in learning the Bible or singing or whatever. Forgive me for substituting self-determination for a cross-eyed glare at what you've done. I pray today if there's somebody in here, Lord, who, who has not surrendered to you, that today they will admit their sin is damnable and offensive to the holiness of God. I pray that they will repent and turn from that sin and turn to the righteousness of Christ. And I pray that they would believe. Believe that your substitutionary work is sufficient for them. That they would call on you as Savior and Lord. And according to your word, that they would be saved today. And then, Lord, I pray that they'll walk in freedom. That they found in Christ as the substitutionary one who takes wandering 
vagabond souls and calls us sons and daughters. Hallelujah. Amen. Would you stand and would you sing?